Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. Have, have you experienced the line of the, you know, do you want to, do you want to come up for a drink? Do you want to come up for a coffee? Do you want to come up for insert euphemism to come up to my place and hook up? Uh, I've done that. I've been the one deploying that line most often. Yes. Okay. So it's still a thing. Yeah. Right. Cause I had a, I had a funny encounter on a date was like uh do you want me to park and you can come up for a coffee or something and it was evening time so I obviously didn't want a coffee and obviously mm-hmm, that wasn't mm-hmm. the point it, it became you know it's LA so it was a really hard time finding parking and finally I was like oh you, you know what you're gonna be doing this all night you should just take my spot and I'll leave and he was like oh but you know I really wanted you to come up for for coffee. I don't know why I'm saying coffee. I just wanted to come up and have you come up and smooch you. And I was like, yeah, Aww. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, he was just like, I don't know why I said that. I was like, I'm not an idiot. I know <laughs> you wanted to hook up. I didn't, I didn't want a coffee at 8 p.m. <laughs> I'm, I, I wanted to come up and smooch too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I was like, it's just what people say. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> I just recently splurged and I, I bought myself an espresso machine. Uh, so yeah, I know. Because I spend so much fucking money at a certain uh, coffee uh, uh, restaurateur and I don't want to give them my money anymore. So I'm like, I'll just make it at home. but. The point, my point being, I, I wonder like next time I'm, I'm out and on a date and I'd be like, would you like to come up for a coffee? And they're like, oh, sure. And then I just start like grinding the beans. Steaming milk. <laughs> and frothing the milk. And <laughs> <laughs> they're the eyes of a man obsessed by sex. Welcome to Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex in film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, Kate and Lauren. Hi, Kate. Hi, Lauren. I'm so happy to be back with you. Uh, that oh, makes I know. It, that makes it sound like we ever would switch up hosts, which I don't think <laughs> anyone else could handle us. Well, I don't know, because you've been cheating on me left and right, having little well, podcast affairs, guesting all over the internet, haven't you? I have perhaps been sowing my proverbial seed, mm. trying to trying to network with other podcasters. But <laughs> you know that you are my one true love. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, I'm the one you come home to. Yeah, don't forget who's taking, taking you home, you home, baby. I was just thinking of that song. And in whose arms you're gonna be? Oh, uh, I'm glad to be doing the podcast with you, Kate. And I'm really excited about the episode because I think there's a, a wealth of material to uh, to choose there from. There really is. Yeah. Oh, man. The last 15 years or so has just been a, a, a wealth of slutty historical content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we're focusing on today. <laughs> Absolutely. I realized I just dove right into it. But yes, historical a.k.a. period piece, although I'm trying to avoid saying that as much as possible because it makes me think of period sex, which is a different thing. Don't be so menstruation-phobic, Lauren. You're correct. You're correct. That's not what we're talking (laughs) about. And so... It's not. We don't have to talk about it yet. When I watch historical... Mm. And or old timey sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Very often, I just think about how bad everything must smell. smell. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. nobody's brushing their teeth. Nobody's bathing on the rig. Nobody's clothes smell like Tide Pods. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're not even using you know like lavender body soap. So like, what's even the point? No, I get it. Do you also use lavender body soap? I really enjoy this. Not a joke. I really enjoy the smell of lavender. Me too. I have lavender everything. I've got Hell lotion. Yeah. I've got soap. I've got essential oil for my diffuser. Hell yeah. We're scent buddies. 
I'll I'll just I'll just jump right in, shouldn't I? Go for it. Mine is a fun one because mine is is technically like two historical dramas pushed together. It is. Yeah. That's what I was realizing. It's like, oh, there's like two different things happening here to talk about. That's great. Um, it's a shame that I don't really like the show very much. <laughs> what I have brought for you, Kate, is Outlander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love Outlander for you all its shortcomings. It? Yeah. I mean, there are also things that I hate about it, but I have watched a lot of Outlander in my day. I understand that. Um, it's not to my taste. Season one, especially, is is what I watched. I'll be bringing you uh, some selections from the episode. Uh, season one, episode seven, The Wedding. Oh, you brought me several selections. I have a few things to talk about, but I really chose this because I told my aunt Judy that I was making a podcast and her attitude at first was like, oh yeah, do whatever you want. It's been a crazy time. Like get silly and do whatever. (laughs) And I told her what it was about. And she was like, oh, you have to talk about Outlander. Because my Aunt Judy is such a horn dog. <laughs> In this house, we stand Aunt Judy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, she's fucking great. Um, so it's been a running thing <laughs> where she loves these sorts of like sexy dramas. She loved Game of Thrones. She loved Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, she loved Bridgerton recently. Yeah. So when I told her about this show, she was like, you have to do the wedding episode from Outlander. So uh, this one's for you, Anne Judy. <laughs> I sure hope I have no relatives listening. <laughs> uh, so Outlander. Uh, so the basic premise. We uh, begin in 1940-something. Late 40s. Late Just 40s. Just World War II. Exactly. It's, they are a recovering nation uh, from from World War II and Claire Randall at the start of it. um, Claire Randall is a combat nurse who saw a heavy, heavy active duty. And she goes on her second honeymoon with her uh, husband, Frank. They are newly reunited and they go through the Scottish Highlands and they're touring around and looking at all the history because apparently Frank is a big history fan. And so it should be noted also that they're British. It's Britain oh, yes. that's a recovering country. <laughs> Britain was the recovering country. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Sometimes You're I welcome. just I'm just barreling on through. Um, but that is an important detail. She is an English woman and they are uh, vacationing in the Scottish Highlands. And she stumbles upon it, it's likened to like a fairy ring. These standing stones, she touches one of them and everything sort of tumbles out of control from there. She is sent spiraling into the past, specifically like 1743. And in the Scottish Highlands, there was a lot of tension between Scotland and England. They had just sort of been unified and there was quite a lot of chafing. Not that there's ever been a time in (laughs) British history when England wasn't being a cunt to some of its local population. But this was a a particularly bloody time. Mm -hmm. So Claire, now going by Claire Beecham, gets caught up with Clan Mackenzie. And she quickly proves herself uh, to be a fiery woman who's also very kind and also kind of motherly. And she's a nurse, so she starts helping out everybody. And, you know, patching up battle wounds and stitching people and giving out herbal remedies for things that haven't been discovered yet. (laughs) And she is caught up in this drama between the Scots and the English. I don't want to give everything away. But there is also a character that she quickly forms an affinity for uh, whose name is Jamie. Now, Jamie is a hunk. He's a big ginger hunk. Big ginger hunk. T 
you know, they had to dye, they had to do so many different processes to get his hair that specific color of red. <laughs> Is it as described in the book or something? It, it's like he's uh, got quite brown hair, I think. And they went through like so many different dyes to get a perfect shade that they were happy with. But yeah, that was a fun little fact I read. But yes, so basis of their relationship is basically uh, she's a nurse, so she takes care of him, maybe making more of an effort to make sure that his bandages are clean and everything than um, she would for some of the uh, ruder men. But his main attraction is that he doesn't want to rape her. Yep. That's what makes him stick out from the pack at first. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, that's what gets her attention because it's so unusual. So, yeah, they don't have a great basis for their relationship. Uh, they end up in, I believe it's episode six. There's a contrived situation where to protect Claire, the Scots decide that she has to marry one of them. And they nominate Jamie for the job. <laughs> and so, even though they've, they've had some interactions before this, it really hasn't been that romantic. It's been, you know, not friendly, because you can tell that he's sort of got a puppy dog thing about him for her. But it's not as outright steamy as I expected. No, they have good chemistry, but what their relationship amounts to is like, Stop taking that sling off your arm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, she's a nurse. That's what she should do. Like, there's nothing really <laughs> romantic about that. But everything kind of changes in episode seven, The Wedding, where because of this sort of contrived situation, they have to get married and they have to consummate the marriage for it to be in effect. So they're going to have to have sex. Oh, no. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What a hardship. This guy's fucking grade A beefcake. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I came around. I came around pretty quickly. His face is kind of weird. But once you take his shirt off, he's very attractive. <laughs> so the main characters are played uh, by uh, Katrina Balfe. Who, is, who plays uh, Claire Beecham, and Sam Hewen, who plays uh, Jamie. And I looked up their names because it's not I funny. I know, I could tell by the way you said Katrina. <laughs> Katrina. It's not funny to get like names wrong when they're based on a different alphabet. That's not fun. <laughs> but anyway, they filmed the scenes out of order. So actually they filmed a few sex scenes before they did this big wedding episode. But... The crux of the wedding episode is this is Jamie and Claire learning each other for the first time and really bonding and being open and honest with each other for the first time. So Sam Hewen uh, gave a little quote about the wedding episode, and he was talking about how uh, Katrina and I have never done anything like this before, so it was a bit of a learning curve. We were lucky that the director, Anna Forster, was good. We did a lot of rehearsals. We discussed how we wanted it to work. When you watch the episode, there is a progression in the way that Jamie and Claire get to know each other. Their relationship grows quite quickly. So by the end of the episode, you can see that they're basically making love. It's not just consummating the marriage. So that really gives you the general overview of this episode uh, and a little insight into how they made it. I'm going to walk you through the episode as a whole before we get to the scene that I really want to talk about. Because the first time they have sex is not great, <laughs> which I think is really fun. Mm, it's quite tender, though, which is nice. It's tender, but so so let me let me walk in, walk through it. Uh, so the, the characters start off on these opposite ends of this marital chamber and they start to kiss. But then she kind of chickens out. She's not feeling comfortable. So they end up talking about like their families and their pasts. And then there's a moment where they get interrupted by the comic relief characters. And it kind of raises the stakes of like people are waiting for them to do it. So there's a little moment where things get more sensual. He helps her out of her bustle and corset. And 
there's a very nice uh, shot of her uh, hard nipples, <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. There's some hot kissing. He, he makes a point, oh, because I didn't even talk about the fact that Jamie is a virgin. He's a virgin. He's a big beefcake virgin. So he's, it's because their ages, I look this up, are like, he's 22 and she's 27. She's been married before. He is not. But uh, he makes a point when he kisses her and she sort of says like, how'd you learn to kiss like that? He's like, I'm a virgin, not a monk, <laughs> which is very fun. There's a moment of confusion because he, he reveals later, he thinks you only do it from behind like horses do. Because he's <laughs> never done it before. But she uh, kind of pulls him with her. So they're face to face. He's kind of a three pump jump. <laughs> he's kind of like it's more like seven or eight but he kind of just thrusts her a bit and comes and she's just kind of there for the ride points for authenticity <laughs> yeah i know it's and it's his first time it makes sense why it's kind of underwhelming and there's a moment afterwards where he's kind of like you know he asks her like was it did you enjoy it she has kind of a pointed silence, but later she does say she did enjoy it. But I, I could kind of tell it was like, it wasn't fireworks, but it was like sitting by a nice warm fireside. And it should be noted that Claire comes from an interesting position in the 1940s where her hubby Frank went down on her, which you mm -hmm. also see in the first episode. Yes. So she comes from a fulfilled married sex life. Yes. She really enjoys sex. She talks in the first episode about how that's how she and Frank connect. But yeah, so there's a few more scenes. We get more flashbacks throughout the whole wedding day. So after we get a flashback of their actual marriage ceremony and they end with the line, when you kissed me like that, maybe you weren't so sorry to be marrying me after all. Claire then proceeds to show Jamie that she's not... Sorry at all. She's quite happy with the way things have turned out. She asks him to take his shirt off so she can look at him. She like trails her hand around his chest when she circles him, uh, showing off his multiple back scars, which are a major plot point. So yeah, that's where, that's the setup for the scene I'm going to show you. Because I find this second bout of sex much more interesting and exciting. I'm excited. I haven't watched it in a long time. Okay. <laughs> Andy's out. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so the scene really sort of starts with her taking off her shift and them being naked with each other. And it's very reminiscent of like Adam and Eve, blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> discovering each other for the first time. Um, and she says, you've never seen a naked woman before? And he goes, not one so close and not one that's mine. Mm, such, a, such a caveman. I know. But it does kind of work for him, unfortunately. It really, really does. <laughs> uh, they have this very hot embrace. And uh, he, he manfully hoists her up with the legs around his waist. Mm -hmm. Classic position. But back on the bed... It's the same old that we saw before of he's thrusting, penetrating her pretty immediately and then thrusting a couple times. And this time she's into it and she's moaning like crazy. Although I will say this time he is especially giving it to her hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very explicitly kind of rough. Mm hmm. So much so that he, he stops after she's uh, coming and he thinks he's hurt her because she's making these noises that he doesn't understand. But she has to assure him that those were the good noises. And finally, finally, we get Claire turning the tables and getting on top. This is what I like to see. This is what I was expecting was for her to like ride him basically. But that's not exactly what happens. She she does uh, take control back to give him some pleasure. Um, yes. We did 
skip right over the fact where he says he didn't know a woman could come. Oh, and yeah. she says, only if the man is an especially good lover, which is funny because, again, he climbed on top of her and just thrusted really hard five to ten times and made yeah. her come somehow. Um, yeah. So the it's comical, the idea that that's what makes him a an especially good lover. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a lot of uh, suspension of disbelief here. But she seems to be enjoying herself. It's true. So she tells him to stay still and actually, like, quote unquote, pins his hand to the bed. And, oh, because he was talking about pain, she kind of shows him and makes a point that a little pain can be good in the bedroom because she starts kissing her way down him and biting him a little bit. And she asks, did that hurt? And he goes, a little. And she goes, do you want me to stop? And he goes, no. And so she's kind of teaching him by showing him that, like, mm, just because it hurts a little bit doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah, she gets one particularly fleshy bite that's yeah. quite erotic looking. Very, <laughs> very good. I do enjoy that moment very much. <laughs> but I think what's most astonishing about this scene is that uh, Jamie is the one who's being shot like we normally see a woman being shot. His pleasure is for our voyeuristic enjoyment mm -hmm. he's he's the one that we're focusing on as she goes down and starts to work some non-explicit magic down there somewhere um his face is what we see and him sort of like reaching and holding on to these animal pelts that he's laying on it's clear that the intended audience for this is women. It is yes. a distinctly female gaze turned on yes. him uh, going kind of wide-eyed and dreamy while she gives him pleasure, which is great and unique. Yeah. And him just kind of laying there looking beefy and hairy-chested and <laughs> innocent while she while she teaches him the ways of the world. Yeah. It's very, very astonishingly like switched from from what we normally see uh, our our usual expectations of the way that sex is shot on screen it's it's very different yeah i think it is helped not to be like everything should be directed by a woman but this was directed by a woman anna forster who directed four episodes of outlander season 1 and before that kate a few episodes of a little show called criminal minds <laughs> I got a connection for you later, too. <laughs> so I think that's exciting. Um, and <laughs> there's a blooper where you can hear the director. She she prompts him breast. The idea of like she's directing the scene and she's like, all right, now's the time where you touch her breast. And he went like, don't worry, I got it. Oh. <laughs> and it's a very nice little moment. Uh, it's quite funny in a blooper but really goes to show just how much these scenes are choreographed and done over and over and over and over. I watched a video where he was on a, like a fan Q and a panel and he was talking about the sex scenes in this show and how they spend an entire day doing one of these sex scenes, like in a full day's work. So they start by blocking the shots and choreographing and then they will film it over and over and over. He made a point of being like, you get lunch, you get full, you, you, you feel like the last thing you want to do is pretend to have sex. <laughs> and then you go back and you do that until like 8 or 9 p.m. Well, it sounds like they really take their time with them to make sure that they're getting them right. And probably it's slower because it's a skeleton crew and it's a more respectful situation where they're not being gawked at by a full TV crew, which is great. Yeah. And that it's being carefully choreographed and respectfully handled. Yeah. And beautifully well done. I mean, sh should we just launch into the stop, do you think? Or do you have more you want to say about it? My thing in this scene is just what a caveman he is and why it works for me anyway. So <laughs> it's really working and it really works. Then the fact that he's like, oh, you're mine. You're my wife. Um, can you do that without trying to do the Scottish accent, though? Can you give me just one pass, just one free pass every now and then? 
I already gave you a free pass. That's like the third time you've done the Scottish accent. <laughs> it's not even, it's unconscious. I don't mean to do it. <laughs> Uh, didn't fetch that's an act i'm so embarrassed because i thought i was doing so well you are doing so well keep going my god so he's he's very caveman and (laughs) it makes it much more appealing when she then takes control and kind of is like here let me it feels more satisfying when that happens because of the buildup of him being like this possessive man Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic that I feel works in their favor in this show where she gets transported back in time to the situation where you'd think really she'd lose all agency, any of the, you know, the social progression that's happened between the 1740s and the 1940s. She's losing all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever privileges were afforded to her being a married, white, middle class, at least woman Mm -hmm. with a career she loses all that stuff traveling back in time and so you'd think that the power dynamic would be way off in his favor but they Mm -hmm. balance that by making her smarter (laughs) and more experienced and like just more knowledgeable about everything so he's he's got more privilege and she's got more other stuff (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. When I heard about this uh, TV show and I heard the general outline of the premise, I definitely thought it was more like, you know, poor innocent woman gets kidnapped by a brutal clans person forced into a marriage. And but it's not like that at all. No. Um, And they make a point of giving her basically the most respectful human adult man who lives in the 1700s yeah. her husband who he has a he treats her with respect and has a lot of respect for what she's capable of but he isn't and he he values what she contributes to the relationship in a way that's unexpected i i i feel you're you're giving insight in the show uh that i have not watched and will not watch <laughs> since i got <laughs> Since I got to the episode that I was going to talk about, I have no intention of continuing. That's fair. Um, I have one major, major problem with the show, and that's that it uses rape as a plot device over mm. and over and over, over and, and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's not okay, and I don't like it, and I don't think it's creative, and I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, it's tiresome. It's just so tiresome. So stop. Let's talk about this scene. Do you know? <laughs> I didn't even think about the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, whoops. Hang on. Let me give it another listen. <laughs> I mean, it's just the same sort of like soft, lilting sort of folksy Scottish thing that the whole show has mm-hmm. it's just filler noise it's just filler it's it's, not, it's not it's nothing just making sure that the, <laughs> the production is well-rounded and has some sound basically yeah. so i'm not i'm not impressed <laughs> i i didn't it didn't even occur to me that i would have to talk about the soundtrack in this scene <laughs> oh, yeah because we haven't done this before or anything <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's just so much else happening. I mean, you can't blame me for getting distracted when I'm fucking watching this beautiful man. Uh, uh, um, Throw a number on it. Fucking two. It's I, I, gen, I genuinely, there were other moments in the show where I was like, huh, I really like what they're doing with the soundtrack of kind of blending the 1940s with uh, this like, you know, 1700s sort of folks music, but it's not, it's not really happening like that in this scene. So it's a, it's a two for me, but yeah. Uh, time. Uh, this is a long scene comparatively to some of the other things we've seen from like them both being naked to him passing out and falling asleep, which I don't think we mentioned in, in the thing before is, 
they have a little moment of like post-coital pleasure. And then he turns his head to like look at her and we see her kind of like basking. And then she looks over at him and he's dead, dead to the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very, very quickly. They have like one moment of kind of like gazing lovingly at each other. And then he's just out. <laughs> out like a light. <laughs> uh, but from them both being naked to that moment, uh, it uses time really effectively. It it splits up, you know, the kind of foreplay aspect with him doing his thrusting and being on top and then her moment of changing things up. Then that very surreal sort of like fade in and out over Jamie's face as he's being pleasured. I think it's a very effective use of time, not feeling like you're missing any moment of it, but also like it's it's not lingering too long. You know what I mean? I think it's very effective. Mm-hmm. It, it almost feels like you're watching it straight through with them, which you hope not because it is only four minutes, but <laughs> yeah. it, it almost has that feeling. The way you say it feels like you're not missing anything. Yeah. Although if, you know, 12 and a half seconds of it is dedicated to her pleasure and the rest is dedicated to his, that would be more than fair. But... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, they do effectively use about four minutes there to tell a whole story. You get sort of the full build up and come down on either side of their moment of intimacy, which is nice. Yeah. I think it's pretty effective. Do you think, would it be outrageous to give it a five? Because I, I do think it's a pretty spectacular amount of like giving you a comprehensive like look at their sex. No, I think it's really well done. I would give it a five. Yeah. Yeah, okay, five. Um, S-T-A, authenticity. God, he penetrates her so fast. It gives mm-hmm. me so much anxiety. And hard too. <laughs> yeah, hard and fast. And I'm just like, oh, they're <laughs> not even any fingering, not even any like gentle rub to the clitoris to get things going. <laughs> nothing, nothing like nothing. So I don't like it. It makes, it makes that, that aspect of it makes me cringe. Yeah. Now that it, it induces sympathetic vagina pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so no good. But I think what is kind of interesting, I did want to talk about this in terms of authenticity. They let Jamie linger in his pleasure when she's either using her mouth or using her hands, we're not seeing it, but we see him kind of like have this long buildup to his pleasure. And I think a lot of film and TV kind of imagines that for people with penises, it's just kind of a wham, bam, you know, one shot and you're out. <laughs> but I've had the experience of like working to make someone with a penis come and like building them up and like, you know, trying to make it good. So I kind of like seeing that of like, not everyone with a penis has like premature ejaculation. (laughs) And sort of on the same note, what's authentic about it is that it's not perfect and that they are talking about it. Yeah. Right. They're, they're still learning each other, what they like, what they're into. She bites him and asks if he likes it stops to make sure that's okay with him. Yeah. He learns that women experience sexual pleasure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now he knows. Now he knows. The, it's a learning experience. The more you know. So that that to me is authentic, is this couple that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that the second time you have sex with somebody that it would be perfect choreographed mm-hmm. fireworks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that's kind of um, uh, contradicted with the last time they have sex in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> because you may not be perfect by the second time, but apparently by the third time. <laughs> so authenticity, I I think it's firmly in the middle because there's pros and there's cons. So I'm going to give it a three. Heat? Oh my God. I find him very attractive in this. I kind of hate that I'm so basic that I just <laughs> see a dude who's like chiseled and muscly and has soft curly hair and I'm like, Oh oh, oh, no, that's, 
That'll do. Mm. This one's got broad appeal. (laughs) Yeah. This one's one's got some curb appeal, Lauren. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's something is very attractive. And, and I don't, this is an an interesting uh, thing for me. I don't actually find her that attractive. She doesn't necessarily do it for me, but him, he does it. And it's a good thing that this scene is focused on him as kind of this uh, smorgasbord of, of visual pleasure. It works out. It's really hot. Yeah. Again, this is kind of that same 50 shades of gray thing where it's basically designed that you can project yourself into this moment with him again, just because of how the gaze is really directed and the intended audience for this. Like you Mm. see that moment where he grabs her by the ass and lifts her up to wrap her legs Mm. around his waist. And like, we all faint a little and we're all like, Oh, if only I were so dainty and feminine and had a big strong (laughs) man to, (laughs) to throw me around, you know, that's, that's the intended reaction and it works. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Ooh, I might only give it a four, though. Uh, four is still respectable, so I'm going to give it a four for heat. And production value. I think it's good. I think it's very well directed. I think every moment has its own unique visual style of, like, you start off wide with them, you know, naked and him lifting her up. You get more medium shots of them uh, with him on top of her on the bed. And then you get these really stunning close-ups of his face. And it just is a beautiful, natural progression of the scene. You get like the flickering firelight. I think it's supposed to be like a yeah. fireplace in the room that's kind of got the light moving and making things a little dynamic and kind of reflecting off those bright baby blues he has. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good scene. I... I think I'll give this also a four because it's not as outstanding as some like I I think atonement is some of the best production value we're going to see. So I'm I'm giving this a four. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. I understand why some people have called it the best sex on TV. Some of it's pretty damn good. All right. Um, Lauren, what I brought for you this week is Versailles. Oh, okay. It's the French historical drama that ran for three seasons from 2015 to 2018. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but it was the most expensive French show ever produced. It had a budget of $33 million for the first 10 episode season. What? Oh my Mm -hmm. God. That's a lot for TV. That's a lot. It's really, that's like Game of Thrones money. Yeah. So it's a French show about Louis XIV of France, um, Mm -hmm. but they shot it with British actors and all in English so that it would have more international appeal because they they really wanted this thing to blow up. And it was created by Simon Mirren, who was a producer on Criminal Minds and also (laughs) is the... (laughs) Is also the nephew of Helen Mirren, which is irrelevant, but a fun tidbit. That is fun. And David Wollstonecroft, who's the creator of Spooks, which Simon Mirren also wrote on. So they created the show together. Uh, It stars George Blagden as Louis XIV. You know him from Les Mis and Vikings. Other other period pieces, it seems like. Other period pieces. He's got one of those faces. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Alexander Vlahos plays the king's brother, Philippe. Duke d'Orléans. You know him from Merlin. He plays the older version of Mordred and Merlin. Oh! It's got a huge ensemble cast, but the only other person in this scene that matters is Anna Brewster, who plays the Marquise de Montespan. Um, and you know her from Mrs. Henderson Presents. And the Tudors, she's also one of those people with one of those faces. Mm. Versailles, it takes place in the 1660s. It's about a young Louis XIV of France um, when he mm. moves his court out of Paris. Wait, wait, wait. I think I, I think I know where they, I think I know where they go to. Do you think you can figure it out? <laughs> I think I have an idea. When you I'm started to say you. like, it takes place, I was like, oh, I bet it's Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you got that idea. Um, 
Yes. Okay. So due to threats on the life and the reign of Louis XIV, he decides to move the court out of Paris and begins building what was his father's hunting lodge into the majestic palace of Versailles. He is um, the Sun King Mm -hmm. and the show portrays him as kind of a temperamental, paranoid and fragile visionary he has a lot of chaotic and horny dreams that guide his decision making somehow Um, including things like going to war to expand his empire and uh putting streetlights in paris to make it safer oh okay right so a lot of things um the creators compared it to uh steve jobs building the apple brand which kind of feels backwards and feels more like they should compare Steve Jobs to Louis XIV, just chronologically speaking, but whatever. <laughs> it's their quote, not mine. <laughs> um, so the show is actually very, very cool because they shot it in part at Versailles, which is crazy. That's never happened before. It would be like shooting Scandal at the actual White House or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the chief scientific researcher at Versailles was a historical advisor on the show. So they, they went for a lot of historical accuracy, at least in terms of the setting. They definitely kind of condensed timelines and moved things around and dramatized some things just for fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in terms of what things look like and how be, people behave and that sort of thing, they tried to keep it very authentic. Nice. Yeah, so the the sets are insanely lush because, again, some of them aren't sets. Some of them are just the fucking Hall of Mirrors at Versailles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The costumes are gorgeous and sumptuous, as was customary for the Baroque era. Mm. Uh, And both the king and his brother rock these shiny blowouts that Kate Middleton would die for. They've both got this long, (laughs) shiny, curly hair. (laughs) (laughs) it's incredible um and here's just another fun tidbit i learned that the person who was responsible for the wigs on the show was called the head of hair (laughs) that's the job title which is really great that's (laughs) so cute yes i know right basically the main relationship of the show is between the king king louis and his brother philippe um Mm -hmm. they have a really hot and cold competitive relationship Philippe is a ragey, queer, cross-dressing dandy who's also like a brilliant military strategist. Mm-hmm. But it's all it's all just really fucked up. Philippe fucks men while his brother fucks his wife. It's like a, a lot. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> he, he works. Louis fucks the brother's wife? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philippe fucks men and Louis fucks Philippe's wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> and the show is famously sexy. All the British press calls it pornographic time and time and time again. They talk about the amount of screen time dedicated to sex and nudity. They count the number of sex scenes in the show all the time. Like the, the tutors walked so Versailles could run. It has a <laughs> lot of fucking sex in it. <laughs> Man, I never saw this show, and you're making me wonder if. I should. Um, there are things that I like about it and things that I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some sexual violence that I'm not great on. Philippe mm-hmm. is this character who you're supposed to like, and it's one of the main characters, and you're supposed to be very sympathetic to him. And he rapes his wife in a rage in the first episode because he's mad and jealous that his brother is fucking her. Great. Like, cool. There are things Fine. that are not good. Right. Yeah. He's supposed to be this sympathetic, funny, interesting character. They also give him these great quippy lines in the first episode. You also see him um, sucking his boyfriend's dick and somebody walks mm-hmm. in to be like, oh, the king needs you. And his boyfriend is this dramatic dandy type also and just kind of goes, oh, call for some snacks. And Philippe just stands <laughs> up and goes, hmm, I couldn't eat another thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's nice. Okay. Uh, right. So they, they give them these moments where you're supposed to like them and find them funny and whatever. And then also he rapes his wife. Yeah. So it's a mixed bag. It's very chaotic. There's a lot of drama. Some of it is historically accurate problematicness. Some of it is maybe just a little bit unnecessary, kind of hard to tell, but Mm -hmm. there are definitely problematic things about it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the scene that I'm going to show you is from season one, episode six. Um, and this is a scene between Louis and Anna Brewster's character, the Marquise de Montespan, who is a courtier and one of Louis's many, many mistresses. Okay. Okay. So, again, the scene is Louis and his mistress, the Marquise de Montespan, um, and we start kind of bird's eye view above them while mm-hmm. Louis fucks her. They're really going at it, very naked, very sweaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's shot with this dim lighting, um, and the bedding is really plain. It's almost like they didn't want the glamour and the opulence of the sets and the costumes to distract from the scene. Um, the way it really takes center stage the rest of the time, you essentially see mm. white sheets and hardwood floors and two naked people. And so it's really intimate and personal in the way that the decor and the costumes are like their own character the rest of the mm. time. That's totally stripped back from that, the scene, which is interesting. But for me, the most interesting part, and it physically pains me to say this. Okay. It looks like they're doing something that could actually feasibly make a human woman have an orgasm <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which you never see <laughs> he's lifting her by the hips so he'd mm-hmm. be like angled up and hitting her g-spot he's got a hand down rubbing her clit at the same time he is actively trying to make her come even though he's a king and she's just one of his mistresses and this is the 1660s I uh I think I missed the the him rubbing her clit. That's a wonderful detail. I'm so glad that that's happening. I know. And then she comes and he doesn't. She I makes her know. come. And then he stops because he's too preoccupied with something. So he gets her off and then he leaves without getting his. Like further to that, he's not like nice to her. In fact, he's unnecessarily snarky with her and tells her not to ask him questions, but he still prioritizes her pleasure. Yeah. Which is wild. You never see that (laughs) in a a historical drama. Never. It's rare for any sex scene. Most sex scenes will pretend that women can come within like two minutes. And... You're right that this is a very interesting, not position, it's the angle. You're getting Mm -hmm. a really good sense of he's thinking about her body and how to make it good for her. Mm -hmm. And Ah, that's interesting. And he's so sweaty that you know they've been at it for a while. Yeah, exactly. And it would be such a different scene if we saw it from penetration to completion. Because this is clearly meant to imply they have been going at it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sort of more on the production of it. We're like up close on them, like mm-hmm. in tight close-ups through the actual sex. And then once she comes, the camera pulls back and then we see more of the room. We see the wallpaper, the decor. We see this big fancy candelabra behind them. Yes. But we're not released from the intimacy of the moment between these two people until after the sex is done. Then we get the opulence of the space back. But until then, we just get white sheets, hardwood floors, two naked humans. (laughs) And an interesting fact that that uh, opulent shot, like you said, is accompanied with the line, did I not satisfy my king? Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, said a bit sarcastically in this situation but with the trappings of royalty behind him so that it's like <laughs> it's a joke but is it yeah i think that's a good point yeah you know i've i've talked about the feeling of of power of making someone come i wonder if that's something that's happening here is like i don't know what is happening in the rest of the story but it sort of strikes me that he wants the feeling of control and he wants the feeling of like I can do this. This is something I can do. And so he's working so hard on a singular goal to make her come, so much so that he's maybe not enjoying it to the fullest himself. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. He's um, this person with, you know, too much power and too much authority and everything is swirling around him and not not everything is in his control, but he's trying desperately to keep a country afloat and make decisions that are going to help and not harm and also not mm-hmm. get like assassinated and not get in a bitch yeah. fight with his brother every day. <laughs> no success there. They get in a lot of bitch fights. But yeah, no, definitely uh, uh, this is a situation where you can see he has complete power and is uh, thriving. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really interesting scene. And I'm surprised because when I watched it the first time and I saw the first shot of that overhead, I was struck by just the good camera work of, of the slow panning. But... There is a lot actually happening in the scene that I didn't pick up on the first time that you really made clear with your analysis. I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks. I don't come to play. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. I come with a cocktail. I come to play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, stop. Let's rate this thing one through five. Mm -hmm. So soundtrack, just like Outlander, it's barely got one it's just a little bit of sound to set the scene it doesn't add or subtract anything yeah so i'll call it like a two yeah <laughs> no, it's that just was, i think it's what i gave outlander sound it's not even music really it's just something to fill out the space so yeah whatever that's soundtrack uh next is timing which i'm gonna give a four it's just over a minute but i really like what they did with it i think they told us everything we needed to know they um were creative in how they presented us with information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it was hot. I think it's well done. So, yeah, I think, like you said, they're presenting a lot of information visually. They're, they're quite literally showing and not telling with his, you know, sweat dripping hair and her like biting the pillow. It, it, it tells, it, it hints, I guess it hints at, a larger time frame than it's showing. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, the sweat is literally dripping off his face. He has exerted himself in this task. Yeah, no, that's that's good. So authenticity, um, hard to say for the time period. I don't know. It was a <laughs> wild and slutty time to be a monarch. Probably also a <laughs> selfish time to be a monarch. So. Like, when is, I mean, if we've learned anything recently, when is a time not to be a selfish monarch? It's kind of the definition. That's fair. It's not always so wild and slutty and fashionable, though. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I'll give it like a four because it's in a bed and it looks like it physically would feel good, which is not something you can always say for sex. It looks like it would be authentically pleasurable. Yeah, both of our scenes this time were. In a bed, there was like soft padding. We weren't, you know, hoisted up against a wall or something. So it's it's got a, <laughs> if you'll excuse the expression, it's got a leg up on some of the other <laughs> scenes that we've discussed. It's got a leg over, if you will. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I'm struck by your ability to sort of point out the angle and and to notice that he was rubbing her clit that is i think very impressive because when i first watched it i didn't notice that i didn't notice where his hand was well it's so subtle right yeah but you don't usually see it yeah it's such a subtle small change that would have absolutely no impact on say how they shot it what the lighting would look like or anything else and they choose not to do it anyway and this is a production that chose to do it. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. Points for clit stimulation. Right? Yeah. I wonder if there's some sort of extra credit. <laughs> clit stimulation-based extra credit we can award to some of these productions because I would like that. <laughs> I, I feel like it's like we gave him a gold star. Like, <laughs> you touched a clit. <laughs> can we call it... <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> Can we call it the stimulus check? <laughs> uh, 
that for some timely comedy. Uh, this is why I do a podcast with you. <laughs> oh my god. You bring the wit. Uh, <laughs> I can't ever not laugh at my own jokes, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh my god, okay. Well, our first stimulus check is given to Versailles. <laughs> this a four i mm. would give it a five but i hate louis lady hair and his ratty mustache so much that i just can't get into basically any of the sex in the show the way that i want to because i'm just not attracted to anyone in it yeah i don't like his mustache on a bad day i'm very sexually attracted to alexander vlahos so to not be attracted to him in the show because of his big long lady hair is not great for me but um he looks like a weird greasy rat catcher man Yep, it's not yeah. it's not a sexually attractive look. I think it's more um a, a historically accurate one. <laughs> yeah. But she's oh my god, she's very attractive though. I mean, she I this is another point uh, of of interest. Hard nipples again. <laughs> <laughs> Just love love it and she's she's got her head thrown back. She's got her hair all tousled on the pillow. I think she more than makes up for his shortcomings. Yep, she's gorgeous. She has made a career of being a gorgeous person who gets naked, <laughs> um, which yeah. is good for her. Yeah, I, I wish. I wish made I a job of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think because of the actual sex, I'll give it a four because it looks great. But yeah, could have been a five, Louis, if you just had a better mm. barber. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah and so production value is last and i'll give that a five because i think the lighting and angles are great they manipulate the focus for the audience really effectively i think it's gorgeous looking it tells a story i love it and the enormous budget is evident in basically every scene of the show including this one oh yeah when you pointed out the way that the framing sort of conceals and then reveals the opulence of their surroundings. I realized like, oh, that's fantastic work. That is fantastic. Because I first seeing this sort of, you know, crane shot from above going down, I was like, oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's been done before, but it's still beautiful. But then realizing they're doing that to kind of hide the walls of the room in this Baroque style and make it seem focused on just their bodies moving together. That was kind of a a revelation when you were pointing out the shot later where she has her foot up on his chest and you see the background and you see, see the candelabra and it's like, oh, yes, yes, of course. Now I understand why you made the choices that you did. Mm -hmm. You know what they say about crane shots for sex scenes? No. If it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> well. Come on, that was a great Beauty and the Beast reference. Give it to me. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, I, I have an honorable mention I'd like to uh, mention. Oh, please um, mention. I, this does this isn't a sex scene, so I didn't know how else I would be able to talk about it. But in the movie, The Favorite, there is a very sexy kiss between Rachel Weiss and Olivia Coleman, And they have this moment where um, Queen Anne, who's played by Olivia Coleman, uh, takes Sarah Churchill, who's played by Rachel Weiss, takes her hand and like, puts her whole fist in her mouth and is like sucking on it. (laughs) And it's obscene and it's extra and it's dirty. And it's really kind of cool to see. It's not what you're used to seeing of like dainty lesbian, you know, gentle hand touching on some part of the body you don't see. It's like very dirty and raw. Mm. 
And <laughs> they have this good kiss where there's a little bit of the power dynamic that is uh, through line throughout the film. And then uh, Queen Anne whispers, fuck me. And it's very <laughs> shocking. It's, it's vulgar. It's shocking between these two, you know, proper historical figures. And that's kind of when things change in the film. Yeah, it just screams that somebody's getting fisted later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't know how else I would be able to talk about this scene, except by bringing it up as a, as a historical honorable mention. So I love it. Thanks for bringing it to me. I, I have a, an honorable mention, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I struggled to decide what to do for this episode. Um, and so in my travels, I also rewatched Casanova, mm. the Heath Ledger Casanova from 2005, I think, which is not as slutty as I was hoping it would be. I had only ever mm. seen it on cable as a kid, um, but I watched it a lot because I really liked Heath Ledger. And well, so I yeah. rewatched it. And there are parts of it that are much better than I remember and parts of it that are much worse than I remember. But mm. the real great tidbit is that Natalie Dormer, a very young Natalie <gasps> Dormer, plays this character who's a virginal Venetian upper class lady who Casanova gets himself betrothed to in a moment where he sort of gets a, you know, get married or else type mm -hmm. <laughs> sentence. I'm not going to get you out of your troublemaking ways anymore. So go get married. And he um, gets engaged to her and she's this pure white Lily. But every time she lays eyes on Casanova, she crushes whatever is in her hand. I mean, she breaks a birdcage. She breaks up like the fence on a bridge. Like she physically crushes whatever's in her hands with her virginal sexual energy that she has for Casanova, which is so funny. Yeah, that's good. That's funny. God, it's a good thing she wasn't ever holding a baby. I know, right? Yeah, there's so many, so many things that would be bad for her to hold. <laughs> <laughs> and weirdly enough, Heath Ledger is terrible in this movie. He just mumbles the whole way through. He gets by entirely on being beautiful. And he shot this movie back to back the same summer as Brokeback Mountain. Um, and he's phenomenal in Brokeback Mountain. And he's yeah. deeply, deeply mediocre in Casanova. <laughs> he was saving all his good acting energy for Brokeback Mountain. Or maybe he used it up in Brokeback Mountain <gasps> and then really oh, phoned no. it in for Casanova. Who knows? <laughs> oh no. Well, I'm I'm sorry it was a bit disappointing. I completely forgot that Heath Ledger did a Casanova because I always think of David Tennant as Casanova because I watched mm. uh, a BBC, I guess, adaptation or version of the Casanova story with David Tennant. And I just remember that as being a little slutty, but probably not as slutty as I remember again. Uh, because I think it was produced by BBC. <laughs> Sexy capital of TV production. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, I think that brings us to the end of another episode. It sure does. Um, so that means that it's up to you, kind listener, to do all the things that podcasts ask you to do. Like. Subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> Uh, follow us on social media. We are on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Let's Get It On Film. We are available where you get your podcasts. See, I'm learning that phrase from you, Kate. Mm -hmm. We want to hear from you. Send us an email. Check out our website. Our website is letsgetitonfilm.com. You can email us at info at letsgetitonfilm.com. Tell us what you're watching. Tell us what you think we should be watching. Tell us if you got a good episode idea. Tell us um, mm -hmm. if you just think we sound so sexy and you want our phone numbers. You can't have them, but we'd you can't like to have hear them, it. But it's nice to know. Um, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and while you're on Spotify uh, following us, uh, our our podcast also check out the let's get it on film fuck jams playlist which probably doesn't have anything new this week because both of ours were just pretty basic <laughs> nothing new this week but it is 
uh, bangers for banging to. So check it out. I mean, kind of. There, there's a Celine Dion song and like a few main themes from different <laughs> shows. So I don't know. A few. There's a Beyonce and a Sia song on there now. So <laughs> you'll get through it. It's all right. <laughs> Way to just undermine the sexiness of our podcast, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just being upfront. I mean, we want open and honest communication. That's that's the sexiest thing, right? <laughs> yes. Good point. Thank you. Um. So. Yeah. Keep it pervy. Hey, keep it pervy.